0: So yeah, no part time has just begun uh, because it's Christmas. Christmas time is here, and today we're going to begin our series of Christmas messages or Advent messages. We pretty much we don't have a lot of traditions, but we pretty much do this every year. Um, we'll talk through the the great ideas of hope and peace. And love and joy, these are the advent themes, and so we take um, each week to explore each of these. I mean, these are huge, massive themes that we could uh, probably talk about for weeks and weeks, but today we're going to look at the idea of hope and how Christ brought hope into the world, and we're just going to unpack what that really means and I'm going to jump right into it because uh, I'm excited about, about this message. You know, hope is one of those things that when we really talk about Christian hope, you, you just can't get it anywhere. It doesn't exist outside of, of Jesus. It only comes through Jesus. And so there, you know, I've noticed this kind of a side note, but it's related. I think this is probably true for all of us um, or for most of us at least. Christmas, the Christmas season kind of loses some of the, you know, the wonder and the magic that it had when we were, when we were children. Now I know not, maybe not everybody had a great childhood, but I think, you know, there's something very magical about Christmas when you're four years old or five years old or whatever, seven years old. Um, we, we just recently unpacked some of our old videos from when our kids, our kids are twenty. Three and 25 now. So we were kind of watching some of the, the Christmas, uh, you know, when they were four and six and three and five. And it was just, it was so magical. But one thing, we can't like go back and recapture that magic of being four years old at Christmas time. But what I do believe is that we can deepen the meaning of Christmas each year. In fact, hopefully every year it becomes more and more meaningful as we seek to understand what Christ really brought into this world. And so that's what these messages are going to be about for the next four weeks, uh, just aimed at helping us to really comprehend the amazingness of what Christ brought to us uh, 2,000 years ago. So again, today I want to talk about the hope of eternal glory that Christ gives to those who place their trust in him. Now, the word hope is a common word. It's used daily by all kinds of different people. Um, and the idea that usually, we, when we think about hope, we, we kind of think about something that we're just wishing for, right? It's kind of the equivalent of, uh, just hoping a thing happen, wishing a thing would, would maybe happen. We say things like, I hope the Red Sox will win tonight, or I hope we don't run into traffic. I hope to live to 100, and so on and so forth. But really, often, our hopes are, they're kind of unfounded. They're, they're not really grounded in anything solid. They're just wishful, wishful thinking. Um, things that we want to happen. So when we talk about our hope in Jesus, it's something totally different. Uh, Our hope in Christ and the promise to dwell with him forever is based on a deep conviction in our hearts. It's based on this conviction, this full persuasion within us that Christ is real, that that Christ came and and he uh, died, he rose from the dead, he conquered death in the grave, right? He took care of our sins. These are deep convictions that we hold. And also this conviction that he dwells within us, that Christ in us, right? The hope of glory that we are not just these believers about ideas about Christianity, and that there's a God up there somewhere. Hopefully, He's paying attention once in a while, or you know, when, when we need Him, we can call on Him. No, we actually, the Christian belief is that Christ dwells within us. That we are actually the the, the temples of the Holy God. That's an awesome thought, right? So our hope has been called the the blessed assurance, right? There's a hymn about that. One of the lines from the hymn says, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I think of another classic hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is built on something. It's not just manufactured by people. It's not just something we came up with, fabricated. We hope it's true. This is something that is much deeper than that. It's a sure thing. The book of Hebrews says the hope that we have is an anchor for our souls. Christ in us, as I mentioned, the hope of our eternal glory. This hope is rooted in God himself, It's anchored in God himself. It's built on God himself. The hope we possess even comes from God himself. So this is really what I want to say today. That was a little introduction, but Christ came to give us a hope that solves the problem, the universal problem of the fear of death. Christ came to give us a hope that solves the problem of the fear of death. So let's talk about this a little bit more, give some context. Death, this isn't new, a new idea to anybody, I'm sure, but death is a certainty, right? I don't think anyone would argue that point, whether they're Christian or non-Christian or whatever. We all kind of know that this happens. People die every single day. Uh, things are born, things die. Even plants die. Our beloved pets die. The goldfish we had when we were five years old, we had it for like a month and a half and it died. You know, like things, things die. Things live, things die. This is just reality. Uh, anyone with any amount of reason understands this. All humans know death is coming and that it could come any day. By the way, this is a little, little, little heavy <laughs> at the beginning. But we're gonna, we're gonna come. It's gonna get good. Right? <laughs> uh, we won't end there. So, anyways, that's the introduction. We're gonna get into the next part next week. Have a great day. Now, you just, you just stay with me, okay? Don't tune out. Hebrews nine, uh, verse twenty-seven says, "It is appointed for man, for people, to die once, and after that comes judgment." So despite the indisputable fact of death, few people, right, give serious thought to what happens after death. The verse I I just read in the Hebrews there says that after the death comes judgment. And everybody has different ideas of what this is, but all humans kind of know this to be true because God has given this innate awareness that we're going to face our maker at some points. Why guilt is a universal experience. You don't have to teach people how to feel guilty. Everybody, everywhere from all the ages, there's just this sense of guilt. Even if you know you're not going to be caught and nobody's going to find out, there's just still this sense of like, whoever put me here is kind of probably watching so when humans violate their conscience they worry about it all human beings know that they will die and that they will give an account of their life really almost all religions in all parts of the world throughout all the ages hold this idea that how we live in this world will affect us in the next right now I understand there's a exceptions, and some people believe that when you die, there's nothing else. It's just you you cease to exist, and there's different kinds of ideas, but most, the overwhelming majority of religious ideas carry that. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, hallelujah, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What I want to point out in this idea is that until Christ delivers us, we are in bondage to the fear of death. Now, it doesn't mean that someone who is not in Christ uh, you know, spends all their waking hours uh, terrified of dying um, and facing God. That, that's not at all what I'm talking about. And most people really put these things out of their minds completely, but it lies in the kind of the subterranean parts of their their inner being, and it, and it controls them, sort of enslaves them more than they realize. It enslaves them to a certain shallowness. It changed the, excuse me. It changed them to thinking only about earthly things. The fear of death won't allow them to kind of face the reality of death with honesty and openness. I mean, have you ever tried to talk with someone about what happens after after death? <laughs> Um, they quickly change the subject, right? Or it's just like awkward or they, they have like a quick answer. Oh, this is what I believe. And they, oh, okay. You know, and just, they kind of put up the wall. Some people will talk about what happens after death until you start showing them that their belief is not grounded in reality, I've had those conversations. Oh, they just have quick, oh, what do you think? You know, They just have their idea and then you start poking holes in, in their belief system and they suddenly realize that they just have a wishful thought about what happens after death. That it's not really grounded in anything substantial. And so then it gets awkward or they get angry. Someone did that to me, by the way, when I was... 21, because I I just, you know, I was like super optimistic, you know, super optimistic person. You know, I'm going to Doing my drugs and all this stuff, and just you know, living my life. And my idea was that yeah, after after you die, you just you go into this blissful ecstasy. It's like a like an eternal uh, acid trip. You know, it's like it's just amazing. And I would like tell people this, you know, like on acid trips, like this is what I think is going to happen. So I was not afraid to think about death and talk about it. I had my ideas, and I, I felt pretty good about it because I felt like I'm a pretty good person and you know this feels right to me and so I had somebody kind of like a little prophet who just like called me out and basically what is that grounded in and he just he punched holes in my false assurance that I'm gonna live forever in some kind of ecstasy and um yeah I didn't handle that too great you know when when I started to realize that I really don't know what's going to happen after I die, and oh yeah, I have a lot of sin and guilt that I haven't resolved. Um, so it started to kind of shake me. Well, people cope with this fear of death in all different kinds of ways, right? Uh, again, all humans know, at least you know, at a, at a certain age, that death is certain, and after death, they'll give an account of their life, to the one who made them, regardless of a person 's religion, this belief is universal it 's like the it 's like the great elephant in the room of the human experience you know we 're all going to die, uh, we all have guilt that we don 't know how to get rid of you 'd think we 'd be talking about this more right as as a planet you know we 're so worried about all these other Issues and I'm not undermining some of the, you know, issues of the planet that we're trying to solve, uh, but it's kind of huge, right? If if we're gonna die and and we're gonna have to deal with somebody, some creator or whatever about our guilt, like you'd think that this would be like the top most important <laughs> conversation that people have, and yet it's not talked about. And so here are a few of the common ways people, people deal with the fear of, the fear of death. Well, one, I already mentioned it they avoid thinking about it. They just suppress it. They act like it's not going to really happen. <laughs> um, it, it, it's almost a, a kind of a denial of something that is so real that is coming for them. Uh, another way is to just make light of it. Uh, TV and movies help us out tremendously with this, right? With all the, you know, just even like they'll do, uh, you know, skits on hell and different, the devil and all these things. Just kind of make it, it's a big joke. It's, you know, there's whole TV series that are based on like afterlife stuff and terrible theology, right? It's just, but it's all, it's all just a big funny thing. Uh, and so we kind of, almost like, you know, the person who, when a serious topic comes up and they, they just kind of get nervous and they just start joking around and making light of things uh, to, to avoid facing the, the reality of it. Uh, many people deal with the fear of death by just kind of latching on to this vague sentiment of, well, when I die, I'm going to be in a better place. Have you heard that phrase? Well, here she is in a better place now. Well, how do you know that? You know, I don't know. They just, we it's just kind of like a common uh, sentiment that people hold. And I remember that when I was 19 and my aunt died. I mean, that just shook me to the core because somebody, all of a sudden it came up after the funeral. All my relatives are there and they're like, oh, where's Aunt Rose? And oh, well, you know, well, she's not in hell because. We know this is hell right here on earth and somebody else said something else and somebody else said, oh, she's in a better place now. And I'm sitting there, they have no idea. I'm sitting in the other room, nobody really knows. They weren't talking in any kind of like, uh, like way of conviction. Like nobody had, I mean, they were just kind of, I don't know, what do you, I don't, I, these are the people that like raised me So that actually at 19 years old shook me when I realized the the people that I've kind of looked to for my worldview, they don't have a clue where this person is now that they're dead. And so I think that was kind of, for me, kind of the beginning of, I got to figure this out. I, I I, I should probably think about this a little bit. Another common way of dealing with the fear of death is just to convince... Convince yourself that you're good enough, right? People do this all the time. Just, man, there's how many people on the planet now? Eight billion or something. You can always find somebody that's worse than you, right? I mean, just, yeah. And so, like, you just compare yourself to, to the people who are worse than you and be like, oh, I don't know, I, I would never do that. And just, you know, we kind of puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel worthy that, you know, if we do die, that there's a god probably. I mean, come on. I'm a pretty good guy. He's probably going to accept me. I mean, I've had that conversation with so many people through the years. You know, why do you think that, you know, you're going to be accepted by the creator after you die? Well, you know, I give to charity and you know, the whole list goes on, right? Uh and so they have no clue that actually we're not saved. We're not Uh, We can't come into peace with God just by doing good things or being a good person or being better than half of the planet or a good portion of the planet. But it's something that people just kind of hide in. It's a false assurance is what it is. And then some, I think, kind of warm themselves around the fire of true Christians, right? You have... Uh, you know, just some sense of like, wow, okay, it seems like Christian, Christianity has the answers. There is this concept of, of, of heaven and glory and eternal life. And, and so they're just like, okay, yeah, that looks good. I'll, I'll pick that one, you know? So I'm going to check that, but I'm going to be a Christian. And so they just kind of, uh, you know, call themselves Christians or they believe about some of the Christian ideas and things like that as their, as their hope. But the problem with that is that, like the book of James points out, even demons believe these things. That's different. We can believe about Christianity. That doesn't save us. What saves us is being in Christ. And we're going to get into what that means a little bit more in a few minutes. So the good news here is Christ came to free us from this bondage of the fear of death. I mean, this is like, this is only one aspect of the good news, but this alone is is huge. This is something that nobody can figure out to the point that people don't even want to think about it. And yet Christ comes and solves this great problem. In Christ, we don't have to awkwardly dance around the reality of death and judgment. We can talk about it. We can, it's fine because we have that peace in our soul. Death loses its sting once we are reconciled to God. It no longer holds us in bondage. It no longer sort of colors everything that, that we do. We're not afraid to talk about who God is, what could happen, judgment day. We're not afraid of the idea of God searching the heart and knowing us. Right, that is like terrifying to a person who is spiritually lost. Like when we start talking about, oh God sees the motives and the hidden things of the heart. Right, he perceives our thoughts from afar. You know, Psalm 139. Like that is absolutely terrifying. Like the Proverbs say, all things that that men do are in full view of the sight of God. Like when I was reading that as a spiritually lost person, I started to shake in my boots. But as someone who is a child of God, there's no fear. I mean, it's still an overwhelming thought to think that God knows everything about us, every motive, every thought. But we know that he has us. We are his. And he's given us that assurance. So the fear is gone. he takes that away. Well, here's a few verses that uh, you know, kind of show us what Christ does in us to free us from the fear of death and judgment. Romans chapter eight says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, just to give you a little theology, God is Trinity, right? One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you understand what that means? Like, mom didn't tell me I'm a Christian You know, some nice person in the church, uh, you know, some of the elders, they didn't come along and say, We validate you. We believe that you are a true child of God. It's much deeper than that. God, the Holy Spirit, kind of testifies to our own spirit and says to us, You're mine you're in. I have you. I'm your father. You are my son. You are my daughter. I'm going to keep you. I've put my mark upon you. Like we're not getting this from secondhand information. God himself tells us, I got you. Ephesians Chapter one says this, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And 2 Corinthians 1 says a kind of a similar thing. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal, there's that word again, seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It makes me think of how uh, shepherds who would have, let's say, you know, a hundred in their flock, they would, they would actually mark, I think on, on one of the ears, they would make this particular kind of etching or mark to in a sense, to seal, like, this one is mine. I'm going to take care of this one. I'm going to protect this one. Uh, There's a sense of ownership on this one. And God does that. He doesn't just mark us. We're not, like, branded, uh, like, uh, whatever, farmers brand cows and stuff. But he, the seal is actually the spirit of the living God. It's not just there's, like, an etching on us. He puts his Holy Spirit within us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 1 John 4 puts it this way. By this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when this love of God comes in, this is what it means to be uh, born of the spirit and the new life comes in, we're regenerated, the new birth, all of that. When this happens to us, it's a love, right? It's a love, that a surprising love that that comes into the heart. Well, this love makes us so that we're we're no longer afraid of standing before God. God at the judgment because we know we know for one we're not saved by works none of us are going to stand before the judgment and say yeah I nailed it I mean I mean like every day right right Lord I mean I mean I mean maybe somebody did a little better job than me possibly the apostle Paul or somebody like that but like no like we're all we know we fall short every single day but there's This deep conviction that we are his. And so when we show up to, on judgment day, it's not just this kind of cold, distant, terrifying, eternal, holy judge that we stand before. Now we might have a moment of that, right? Just like in scripture, how a lot of the characters and saints would, like Isaiah would just like fall down And and John on the Isle of Patmos, falling on his face, dead, kind of terrified of just the greatness, the vastness of the holiness of God. But he's then going to say to us, "My son, my daughter, well done, good and faithful servant, you're mine." Hmm. So what we're talking about here is really the new birth. And this is where I want to kind of get more personal and more practical, just in this last part of this message. Um, Other words that the scripture uses, phrases, would be like born of the spirit. Um, Another term is regeneration this idea of, you know, we live all of our lives, and maybe that's only four or five years for some of us that were kind of saved really early. But for, we're not born, nobody is born into this world a Christian. Uh, nobody is born, you know, okay, I was just, came out of the womb, uh, baptized in the spirit or whatever. Um, we're dead spiritually. We're without hope. We're without God. We're lost. Um, we're separated from God. We're alienated from the life of God. We're actually at enmity with God, even if we're not aware of it. We're, we're in that place of spiritual death. And so what happens at some point in the life of a true Christian is that the Holy Spirit enters in and changes everything. We call that the new birth. You're different. There's Now, it might not be uh, crazy, dramatic moment of conversion. It could be, there could be some process there, but something is imparted to us and it's the Holy Spirit. And that's when we are born again. This is a massive New Testament theme. Jesus famously told Nicodemus, unless you are born again, why? You cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What Jesus was saying is we are not saved, we are not reconciled to God, we are not possessors of eternal life, we are not washed of our sin and our guilt until we are born again. I always think it's funny when people are like, oh, I I'm not, not going to be one of those born again Christians, you know, I mean, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm not one of those born againers. Like, what are you even talking about? It's like, they don't even know what they're talking about because there is no other kind of true Christian, right? It's not a denomination, like, oh, I'm part of the born-again denomination. No, this is, is, if you're not born of the Spirit, like, you're not yet a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian. Other people can call you a Christian. It doesn't matter what we call ourselves. It's, It's what are we, and what makes us Christian in the eyes of God is that we are in Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit within us, that we've experienced the new birth. We're born of the Spirit. We're born again. We're regenerated, all these things. We've passed from death to life. Titus chapter three uh, puts it this way. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when... Here's the good news. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we you know, tried so hard and did good things, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. now, If it's true that we will one day die and we will face the judgment of a holy God and the only way to enter the glory of God's eternal kingdom is by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this idea of being born again, then of course the million dollar question is if we're honest enough to face it, do we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us? How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us? Are we truly born of the Spirit and covered in the righteousness of Christ? Now, at this point, we have to be careful that we aren't creating our own litmus test to determine our authenticity as true children of God. Now, it's been a long time since... I took science in grade school, so I had to look up litmus. I was like, what is litmus? I I remember doing that in school, but just to refresh my memory, here's what I found. It said, the litmus test is performed by placing a small drop of sample onto the colored paper. Usually, litmus paper is either red or blue. Red paper turns blue when the pH is alkaline, while blue paper turns red while the pH turns acidic. The point is that you can't just use your own paper and you can't interpret the results how you want to interpret them. There's kind of a, there's an exactness to the test. The phrase litmus test, of course, has now been applied broadly. The Collins Dictionary defines it this way. If you say something, that something is a litmus test of something, you mean that it is an effective and definite way of proving it or measuring it. All right, you following that? I'm saying this to make the point that we cannot make up our own litmus test in determining whether or not we're born of the spirit. The only litmus test that counts is God's litmus test. What are the markings that we truly have the Holy Spirit. What are the evidences that we are truly in Christ and not just professing Christians devoid of the Holy Spirit? I mean, there should be enough verses, if you know your Bible at all, that, that should uh, you know, kind of get to you, uh, right? The Bible says, examine yourself to see whether you're really in the faith, whether Christ is really dwelling within you. Um, examine yourself. You know, put, the, put yourself to the biblical litmus test. And then there's other verses where Jesus said, you know, there's going to be people on Judgment Day that said, oh, here we are. We ate and drank in your presence. We were, you know, and I'll paraphrase. We were churchgoers. You know, we, we even raised the dead. You know, we, we did miracles. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I mean, th- those kind of passages should, should help us to examine our hearts. Like, whoa, 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 okay. Let's, let's, what's the litmus test? What does it mean to be truly saved? Well, here are a few examples of a wrong litmus test. Well, I attend church. Well, I say prayers to Jesus, you know, every day. Every once in a while, when I'm in a church gathering, the, I feel goosebumps. I, feel, I cry. I, I must have the Holy Spirit. I practice Christian ethics. You know, I, I pra- the teachings of the Bible and the ethics there, that's, the, that's, how I've, that's how I live my life, according to biblical ethics. But no, none, of, none of these are wrong. These, these are good things. But, and they very well may accompany true conversion. But they are not the evidences of being born again. There are lots of people around the world who experience these kinds of things who are not born of the spirit. They're still unregenerate. They're still lost, dead in sin. Here's the biblical litmus test. And by the way, the book of 1 John toward the end of the Bible is really all about this. But here's just a few. Conviction of sin. What does that mean? It means like you you have your, your moment or your season where you realize you are not good. You realize that God is so holy and you are so not holy, even if you're better than most people on the planet. That's a mark of the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then there's this kind of, I call it strange certainty. I mean, I was the biggest doubter I mean, always just like, I don't know about anything. I had someone, I was like the, the epitome of agnostic. You know, I had all these different ideas and it evolved and changed every other week and all this stuff. And then suddenly, you know, when Christ came into my life, I had this strange certainty that Christ is real and, and we're gonna face Christ and he is with me and he's living within me and he's hearing my prayers That wasn't attained through reading uh, 150 Christian books. It was sort of supernaturally, divinely imparted to me. And many of us in this room have experienced that. It's it's hard to explain, right? All of a sudden, you go, I don't know about all this stuff. And then the next day, you're like, this is totally true. How do you know? I, I don't even know how I know. I don't know. God made me know. God can do anything. God makes us know things. God puts that faith inside of us. Another thing is guilt is eradicated. Now, if you were saved when you were four years old, you might not realize this or process this as much. But if you were saved in your teen years or young adult or whenever, um, you know, we have guilt and we, right? people spend thousands of dollars to try to uh, meet with therapists and counselors to get rid of their guilt and they'll do anything to get rid of their guilt but it just, how many know it doesn't really go away you can suppress it, put it down, have a counselor tell you oh no, you don't have to feel that but, but it's there, right, it's like a big rock inside of you it's like you just can't get rid of it. There's nothing. Oh, I'm gonna do some good works. I'm gonna scrub it away through charity. I'm gonna give away a bunch of stuff. But it's how many know the guilt doesn't go anywhere. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, it just it flies away. That's why you feel like right. Come on, some of you. I mean, especially some of you like me that had a lot of guilt by age 21. Like I was like weighed down. I couldn't even. You know, I couldn't even walk. And all of a sudden, Christ comes in, the spirit comes in, and I'm like, just, I feel light. (laughs) I feel happy. (laughs) I mean, it was just completely lifted off of me. That's a supernatural, divine work. Nobody can do that. No counselor can get you into that state where you don't feel any guilt anymore. It's it's a it's a work of god and then of course there's no fear of death because you're like yeah he loves me I, I don't know how i know this but i just know that that he has me he knows me he loves me he's invited me to his table and he's made me his child i'm adopted and so we kind of have this open heaven we can cry abba father we can we can just now, it doesn't mean that every moment of every day we feel, sometimes we get condemned, sometimes we get confused, Satan trips us up and tries to make us feel like, oh, God doesn't love you anymore because you, you weren't good enough today or just these different, there's all that, you know, we struggle in the mind, right? But at the end of the day, we have this open heaven. We, we have this access, like we, we know that we can, I mean, for me, It was 21 years of like not praying at all. Like, I'm not gonna pray to God. He's like probably hates me. Look at all the stupid stuff I've done in in 21 years. Like, he doesn't want to talk to me. He's probably ready to clobber me. He's probably he's probably excited to like kill me and crush me. That's kind of how I thought deep down because I was such a terrible, you know, terrible kid. And then all of a sudden, the love comes in. I'm born of the spirit. And I just can't get enough of God. I just want to draw close to God. I want to come near to him. That's a supernatural thing. There's a sensitivity uh, to sin. Even if it's, you know, even if you know that nobody's going to see you, nobody's going to catch you, you just still feel like, I just can't. I just, I can't, I can't do that. There's a, a deep sensitive what is that? Like, I I didn't have that before I was a Christian, like, at all. Like, we can do this and not get caught? Great, let's do it. Like, I, you know, it's like, whatever. Anything, anything goes. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes in and you feel, I, I, I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't even think that way about this person or what this thing because why it's not because of me I'm not that's not who I am it was the Holy Spirit that made me new you're a new person it's kind of a it's just this surprising love that gets put inside of you this mark of love you know if you knew yourself at all you knew that that wasn't that's not how you roll like somebody hurt you right you cancel that person right I'm done with that person I'm not even talking to that person anymore. And you badmouth them. And, you know, it's just natural to hate somebody. Oh, maybe you're not. Just make a big deal about it. But in your heart, you're just going to quietly hate. But the Holy Spirit comes in. You can't do that. You try to. I'm going to hate this person. No, you can't get very far, right? Because <laughs> the love is like, no, no, no. We're not. That's not how we roll. You know, we're, we're new. And, and the Spirit doesn't let you. See, these are, I could keep going. These are, these are markings of the Holy Spirit in us. And again, 1 John is, I think, the best book to understand kind of the litmus test of authenticity. Now, you might ask the question, am am I saved? Am I saved if I'm uncertain? Maybe. You you actually could be, and, and maybe you just need to to kind of grow into into these things. Um, I don't think it's good to not be sure. Um, God wants us to enjoy his assurance. But if you're truly uncertain, what should you do? Well, ask God. He's so generous. And this is where I'm going to end. I'm turning off my iPad here. God is so excited to give us that assurance. Whether you're just a true believer um, and you don't have the assurance or you are you know, maybe a professing Christian or a non-believer who has not yet come into the issue. Listen, here's the reality. You have breath in your lungs. We all have breath in our lungs this morning. Praise God. And just know that, that God is eager, not just willing, but he is eager to give each of us the Holy Spirit. He's not stingy. You know, he's not like, yeah, I'll give it to you, not you. Yeah, you, but not you. No, he, his, his gift is extended. He says, come, come, come to the waters. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden and burdened down with guilt. Come and I'll give you my Holy Spirit. He's eager and willing to, to do that. It's not his will for any to perish. He, he desires you. Every single person in this place, you feel like, oh my gosh, I thought I was a Christian. Maybe I'm really not. Um, maybe, I, maybe I'm just, you know, kind of think I am or whatever. Maybe I'm just a cultural Christian. Maybe I'm just a professing Christian. Maybe I'm one of those that would say... Um, on Judgment Day, oh, I was you know I went to Renaissance Church. Uh, I ate and drank in your presence. I even I think I healed somebody one time, and then Jesus would say, "I never knew you." Maybe you feel like that. It, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just the the what matters is is that you come to Him. The Bible says, "Anyone who comes to Him, He will in no way cast out." You know, if you come to Him, and what what's the you have you can't come on your own terms. I think that's the only. That's the only thing. You know, I think sometimes we want to just, well, we want the all the benefits of eternal life. I want to live forever with, you know, Jesus and glory. But I want to just keep doing what I want to do. You know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to hold on to my life. Listen, conversion is a transfer of ownership. That's really what it is. You take your life, everything you are, all your resources, all your dreams, you you there's no other way in, like there's no, oh, here's a shortcut, here's a, that's the way in, that you take all that you are and you just lay it before God. All of it. All your opinions about things, all of your, whatever, pet preferences and all these, you, you just say, oh, Lord, you're, okay, here it is. Now shape my life. My life is no longer my own, but it's yours. If you do that, you will absolutely receive the Holy Spirit. There's never been anybody who's done that that didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's gonna be a process of growing, and you're still gonna make mistakes or whatever. But anybody in this place, I'm just, I'm trying to give you hope, because some of you are probably, you're probably worried. My gosh, am I lost? What if I got hit by a bus today? You know, listen, there is hope. The hope is that if you come to him, he will put his spirit in you. You don't have to go and, and try to do a bunch of good things for the next five months. You don't have to fast and pray. You don't have to like do all these spiritual gymnastics you know, flog yourself or whatever. Listen, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. He says, come as you are, with all of your junk, with all of your opinions, with all of your views about whatever, politics and sexuality and all of it. Just come and say, here I am. I don't have much. Maybe you have a lot of money. Maybe you don't have much money at all. Maybe you're poor. Whatever. You just bring yourself and say, here I am. Can you do something with this? And he will receive you. Because that's what it's all about. We're saved by by his grace alone. Thanks for listening. I want to take a moment, though, and and pray. I'm just going to pray for everyone in here. I know that this is a very different message depending on where you are spiritually. If you are truly born of the Spirit, you know, this is like, hallelujah. <laughs> wow, um, It's like a reason to rejoice. If you're not a Christian, it, this can be a scary message, but I, I don't want to just put, you know, I don't want to make you scared. Um, I'm trying to press that you can come right now to Christ. This can be the greatest Christmas season that you've ever had. It'll make uh, your childhood Christmases look look pale in comparison. Jesus, I pray for every person in this this room. Um, Lord, I pray especially for those who just are not sure of their standing before you. Um, Lord, we know we're going to die. We know that this Life on earth doesn't live forever. You know, we, we know, God, that we're going to face you one day. And Lord, I know it's, it's, not, it's not a fun thing. It's kind of a scary thing to, to not know what's going to happen. Lord, I pray that you would put your Holy Spirit in every one of us. And I pray that you would give assurance. I pray that every one of us would just enjoy that blessed assurance yeah, thank you, Lord, that your arms are wide open to receive every single one of us. So do it, do it today. Let all heaven rejoice that someone turns and, and it comes into the kingdom of God. Thank you for your presence here today. And we pray these things in your wonderful and precious name, amen. Amen, thanks for listening.